Hi, welcome back for another episode of Jesus Rewind. My name is Alexis, and today I'm going to be doing a Bible reading of the book of Romans, um, studying the chapters 4 through 6. Um, I'd like to continue the Bible reading from last time. Last time we learned about our freedom from unrighteousness, our freedom from the law, and our justification through Jesus Christ, and salvation through him, through his grace and love towards us. We can now be saved by believing in him. That is the gospel. Um, receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, um, you will be saved. And so, the, the rest of this chapter kind of goes into kind of, now what? Now I know that I'm justified. What can we do now? And it's about having faith. It's about God working into, in you to sanctify you, to, um, through this chapter, explain to you how, how it kind of all comes together. So, um, nothing like the pure word of God. So, again, just going to be reading through, um, sharing some little nuggets that I receive. But I really just want the word of God to speak to you. So please grab your highlighters, grab your pencils, um, your Bible app. That's all that you have. And um, take some notes, whatever God speaks to you um, through his word. I hope that you can really meditate on and reflect on and grow in deeper revelation and understanding of his word. All right. Again, starting in the book of Romans, Paul's epistle to Rome, chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And so that section, um, verses 1 through um, 4 here, is called Abraham is justified by faith. Next section, um, starting at verse 5, it's called... David celebrates the same truth. And again, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, NKJV. Verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And, um, just if you're taking notes, this is what true blessing is. What um, David is quoted say, verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Again, um, a lot of people have their own views about blessings. True blessing is forgiveness is not 
being counted unrighteous for our unrighteous deeds, for the grace of God to be bestowed on us. Um, so if you're saved, you are blessed. <laughs> Next section, Abraham justified before circumcision. Verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Now, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith. Which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. <clears throat> Next section. The promise granted through faith. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. But... Verse 15, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, and was raised because of our justification. Alright, so that concludes chapter 4. It's talking about circumcision, uncircumcision, the law, um, our justification apart from the law, um, prior to the circumcision for Abraham. And so Abraham is known as the father of faith. 
And it, it goes into that. Why, why is he known as the father of faith? Because he believed God who spoke into life things that were not. And he had faith. He had belief, the assurance that God was faithful to accomplish what he had promised. Even though he counted his own body dead because he was about a hundred years old and his wife Sarah was um, also up in age as well. And so God had promised him that he would be a father of many nations. Abraham had faith, even though he could not do it in his own strength. He believed in God, in God's ability. He was convinced that God could fulfill his own promise, which we all ought to be convinced of as well. And, um, the key verse, um, in this chapter, I'd say would be, um, chapter, um, verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it be, may be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Moving on to chapter five. This section is called the, it's been labeled as faith triumphs in trouble. <clears throat> Verse one, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, not by the law, justified by faith. We can have peace with God. We can have peace. We can be in right standing with God. We can have fellowship, a relationship with God Almighty. How? Through our Lord, through Jesus Christ, through his justification, we can have peace with God. Um, verse 1 is very key. Verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Next section, Christ in our place, verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Another key verse. God loved us so much that even though while we were still in the thick of our sin, still enemies with God, rebels, hardened hearts, minds set as far as possible away from God, slaves to the devil and the evil, unrighteous deeds that we were in, just in complete ignorance of God, denying him, running away from him. 
while we were still in this state. Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He saved us. He rescued us. In faith. In hoping that we would all be brought to repentance and salvation through this salvation. Continuing on verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All right. So Christ in our place section, um, verses 6 through 11. Um, if you notice, this is all past tense. And so this whole section that we're reading here, um, we, re- we understand the gospel. We received salvation. Now what? This huge now what is that we can have faith in God. True faith. We can practice this faith. And now that we're saved, we have been justified. We have been given this new life. Christ has died for us, living the perfect life. We can be reconciled to God now. And we are reconciled already through his death. So much more now, we are saved, again, past tense, through his life. And so since all of these things have already occurred, we are already justified now here in the physical, in this human body. We can have peace in God and we can rejoice now having already received this justification. We are reconciled to God. We are brought back into the sheepfold. Our great shepherd now has rescued us and gathered us in. We are called to follow him. So um, that is the now what? You are justified. You are reconciled to God. You are saved. Um, and you can have peace with God um, today. Um, the day of salvation. All right. Continuing on next section. Death in Adam, life in Christ. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. All right, so this is talking about how um, how sin entered the world. It entered through Adam. Um, Adam and Eve were the first people on earth. And when they sinned, 
and they had children, we are all of their descendants. And so through this sin, we are all born into this world in sin because we, it's, it's almost like we inherit this sin, um, curse through them. And so sin and death came from this, this family line that we have. But if by one man's offense, many died, much more, it says in verse 15, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And so Christ's gift of grace to us has the ability to overturn this death inheritance. We no longer are bound to sin and death, but by receiving the gift and the salvation that comes from this one man, Jesus, Jesus Christ, we have life through this. All right, continuing on verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Alright, so if you noticed here in the latter half of chapter 5, um, it repeats itself over and over and over again. You know, how sin came into this world, what sin is, what it results in. Sin came through Adam, sin leads to death, and it's inherited in a sense. We all are sinners. We all operate in sin in this fallen world. And so, again, it reiterates that death comes upon all of us. However, Jesus Christ did not sin. He offers us the gift of grace. There was no sin found in him. And so he has the ability to provide us with this free gift. And it keeps reiterating, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's free, freely given. And grace comes from it. Um, it says, verse 17, abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We can reign in life from this. And so death and sin reigned prior, but now graciousness and righteousness, ultimately eternal life with God can reign after this. And so what does this mean? Um, we inherit death 
by nature, by our sin nature, operating in sin. But there is a gift of graciousness, of righteousness, of life that can be received. And so that's very key here. We, we cannot inherit this eternal life. It's not something that just comes onto us because it is a gift. Yes, it is freely given, but you have to accept it. You have to recognize that you need to reach out and receive this free gift of Jesus. You have to recognize that you are a sinner, that you need to be brought into this eternal life. And so it just reiterates over and over and over again that death reigned, sin reigned, but through Jesus Christ's righteous act, life reigns, righteousness reigns, grace reigns, and it's a gift and grace will abound, overcoming sin, darkness. And through Jesus Christ, um, grace reigns through that righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 21. Um, continuing on, chapter 6, dead to sin, alive to God. Another now what <laughs> section. Now I'm saved, now what? Um, verse 1, chapter 6, Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So this first section, um, let me just unpack this for a second. Um, it's The question is, should we continue in sin so that God can keep pouring out his forgiveness and graciousness on us? And Paul is explaining, no, that is not why we have been saved. By being saved, we have put to death sin and death and this bondage that we used to live in. We are now set free. We are set free to obey Christ, to live in the fullness that Christ provides for us in this life, in this eternal life. And so as Christ died, we also are called to die to ourselves essentially die to sin, die to the old way we used to live, turn away from the sinful slavery to sin and darknesses and darkness and unrighteous deeds. We no longer have an obligation to, to fulfill the sin that constantly begs for more and more and more unrighteousness and evil giving way to just deeper and deeper darkness. No, we're set free from that. Christ has shined a light on us. We are called into this light to follow after him. And so that old person has been buried, dead with our sins. The same way Christ was buried, we have put to death all of our sin and our sinful living as well. And so we have also been raised with Christ. Once we are saved, we've also been raised. We've been given this new life. We've been given the Holy Spirit that now lives in us when we profess Jesus Christ. And we've been raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
to this new life. And so we should not continue in this sin. No matter how difficult, no matter how tempting, we have been set free from that. So by no means should we go back to that life of bondage. Verse 4, therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Continuing on, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Um, just underlining verse 7. For he who has died, he who has died, has been freed from sin. Again, um, we've been given this new life. So we've kind of spiritually died. That old man, that old sinful man has died. This is the new life that we've been given in Christ. Free from sin. No longer walking in that old life, but being united the same way in Christ's resurrection. We can do away with sin. It no longer is our master. We no longer have to obey sin. Verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." Um, this dead to sin, alive to God has so much, um, to unpack there, but again, it's just explaining that we no longer are bound to sin and the lusts and the unrighteous deeds that we once were. We are, can be alive in Christ. Christ died for us once and this applies to all of us. He died once for all of us. And so, like Christ, we reckon ourselves dead to sin, dead to that old life, resurrected, raised again from that death into this new life found in Christ alone, our Lord. Um, so, 
sin no longer has dominion over us. This is the great news. Sin is no longer our master. We have no penalty um, to die. We no longer have to die. We are members of this this church, this body of Christ now. And if we are part of this new resurrected body, we no longer are sentenced to death, but we have been given this new life, being alive from the dead. So don't present yourselves um, to sin, to operate in the unrighteous deeds any longer, but present yourself to God to operate in the good works that he has prepared for you. Next section, from slaves to sin to slaves of God. Verse 15, Romans 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God, be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of unrighteousness. Oops, <laughs> let me read that again. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Correction. <laughs> free from sin, slaves to righteousness. Verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you present your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. All right, before continuing on, I just want to explain that um, this is another question of this section. Because we're under grace, should we continue to sin? We're, we're free now, so we're no longer sentenced to death. So this is, is this like a, a, a free ticket to heaven? We can do anything that we want? No, certainly not. It says in verse 15, it says, you are slaves of what you obey. And so obey God. Now that we are no longer slaves to sin, you have the opportunity now to be slaves to righteousness. Being a slave to sin led to death and greater unrighteousness, greater darkness, greater lawlessness. The more you sin, the more you need to go deeper and deeper and deeper into that dark pit to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's like a, an empty an empty stomach that's never filled. You have to sin more. You have to continue to do these things to fulfill the lust, to continue to achieve that same level of sin that you once have and it just gives way to greater and greater unrighteousness and lawlessness and evil deeds until you look around and you recognize that you are a slave to it you cannot live without it 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 never is full and so you constantly have to feed into it so who you obey is your master so if you obey sin, if you obey what your heart tells you, what the world tells you, what culture is um, telling you to obey, this you are a slave of. But this, this sin, this 
this uh, darkness, it leads to death. And so the more you sin, the, gr- the closer you become to death, you are, you're operating in these dead works. And so it says in verse 17, but God, but God bethink that though you are slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And so you no longer have to be a slave to sin, but now you can be a slave to righteousness. I know the term slave is not preferred by most people, but ultimately you are either a slave of death or a slave of life. So choose life. Choose to be a slave of righteousness because it does not lead to death. It's not an empty tomb, an empty grave that constantly needs to be fulfilled. You are filled by the Holy Spirit. You are filled by this love and this graciousness. And you are set free from sin so that you have the freedom to operate in true holiness. And so this being a slave to righteousness now encourages you to desire to obey the law, to fulfill the law in your life, to be obedient to your master, to righteousness, to holiness, because this is true fulfillment of life, to do what is good, to do what is just and righteous. And so thank the Lord that we no longer have to be a sin to this, um, to these deeds that lead to death, but we can be slaves to righteousness that leads to life. And um, continuing on to verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have found your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so captured all there in chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So like the this section in chapter 5 was explaining earlier, sin, death, all of these things are in a way inherited. It says here in verse 23, the wages of sin. So the payment, the hourly wage that you receive from sinning is death. Not just death um, here on earth, but eternal death, eternal separation from God. And so it's earned. Sin, when you sin, you earn death. It's just what happens. It's just the the um, natural order of things. We inherit the sin. And when we are workers of iniquity, workers of sin, we earn this death that it's explaining here. So being a slave to sin, you get paid for that sin in death in a way. But even more than that, it's talking about circumcision and the law and all of this in this section that we're talking about. If you work righteousness and you're circumcised and you do everything according to the works of the law, it does not say the wages of righteousness for us humans is 
life. It does not say that. Pay attention to what it exactly says. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, all of this to say, when we sin, we earn death. When we work righteousness, we do not earn life. No, life, eternal life cannot be earned. That is not what this verse is saying. Eternal life is a gift that can be received from Jesus Christ, our Lord, alone. And so this is a gift. It is something to be received. It is something to be accepted. It's grace, by grace, that we have been saved. And so you are now saved from this inherited sin. You no longer have those that earned wage of death, but you have received this eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so you're free. You're set free. You're no longer a slave to this sin that leads to death. You now are a slave to the to righteousness that leads to life. So choose life. Choose to operate in holiness and obedience out of this wonderful gratitude to God that now you can be set free to choose life, to have eternal life. Again, you have been past tense buried, past tense justified. You now can be reconciled to God Almighty. And so choose this life, choose Jesus Christ, choose to be saved, to be set free from sin. It's a free gift and um, it's to be received again. All right, so that was um, the book of Romans chapters four through six. Um, essentially, the the gospel continued. Um, you're saved, now what? Now choose to receive this free gift, operate in faith, and no longer shall you be subject to live under sin and be a slave to that sin. But now you can choose to obey God to obey righteousness and which leads to holiness and eternal life by receiving the gift of salvation of Jesus. All right. So I hope this reading was a blessing to you. And I hope that you jotted down the key points that you received. I know I took away a lot of key points. So I would love to close this out in a quick prayer. Um, Father God Almighty, we come to you with thanksgiving. We come to offer you praise again for this new day, this day of salvation that you have earned for us all that could never be earned or worked for, God. We thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the law, for accomplishing all that we could never do, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for this gift of salvation. We receive this gift we appreciate this gift. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that now dwells in us, that helps us to understand this word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing this word to life and helping us to understand. I pray that everybody that reads and hears this word may understand and been enlightened and have the revelation of what true eternal life is what graciousness is, what faith is. Please, God Almighty, 
encourage them to search out your words, to search out your heart, to understand, God, what this gift of salvation truly is and what it means for us down here on earth, God. Your thoughts are so far above ours, God. So thank you for leaving us with your word to explain to our human minds what we ought to do down here on earth, what salvation means, what righteousness is, what all that you accomplished for us results in for us, Lord God, which is eternal life, which is righteousness, which is reconciliation with you, God, and peace. Thank you for this peace. Thank you for your graciousness. We love you. We give you all the praise and glory. Please, God Almighty Father, all of those that are brought to salvation today, please instruct them in the way that they should go. May you encourage them to read their Bibles, to have fellowship with one another, God. Please, may you help them, Lord God, to be kept in your word, to be kept in this faith, in this grace, Lord God, so that they may not return back to their sin, obeying the lusts of their flesh, God. May you encourage them to walk in righteousness, in holiness, in this new life that you have earned for them. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your almighty name, amen.